Well, welcome back, everybody. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed your nap. We apologize for that. We're having some difficulties syncing the audio and the video. I will say, I hope it's fixed. If it's not, you can feel free to just listen to my sermon with your eyes closed. I was told I have a better voice than face anyways. And so here's a good chance to take advantage of that. Uh, we are continuing our series, though, on Exodus, uh, the gospel according to Exodus. Um, I should say, you know, we're, we are approaching the finish line in this series. And so I actually want to encourage you. I can imagine as we're doing this quick survey, you know, there are things we're not getting to, obviously. There's a lot of details. But perhaps there have been some themes that you've noticed, uh, some big ideas you feel like God or the Spirit of God has kind of brought to your heart or brought to your mind. I actually want to encourage you, as we kind of near the finish line and bring the series to an end, to begin to reflect on those things. You know, what, what is it that maybe God is speaking to you through this book? What, what are things he's brought to your mind? Maybe there's only one or two things that he wants you to focus on in this season of your life. And I want you to actually take that time to, to do that. Even if you have to pause the video now and reflect and begin to write stuff and whatnot, do that. that that's the point of this series, that the, the Lord, uh, the Spirit of God will be directing you and guiding you through his word. And so we encourage you to begin doing that uh, as we come to the Advent series uh, pretty soon. Uh, but for today, we are in Exodus 32, but I actually want to start with a uh, different uh, book, a different chapter. It's one that I actually helped, uh, I studied with a bunch of pastors and uh, church planners a couple months ago, a couple weeks ago. Uh, we're in this little cohort. It's very cute. A lot of us are there. We just like sit and talk and drink coffee. And, and we were in John chapter one. And it's one of my favorite chapters in literally all of the Bible. And we're reading the story of when Jesus first kind of called his disciples. It's, it's a really cool scene. It's like, uh, you know, from the different gospels, you get different perspectives of like, you know, the, the origins of God's uh, uh, ministry here on earth. And in John's perspective, what you see is that there's these two guys who are actually following John the Baptist, right? And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold, the Lamb, Lamb of God. And then these two disciples who were following John the Baptist actually leave John the Baptist and they start following Jesus. And he says, you know, what, what do you guys want from me? And they say, teacher, where are you staying? Right? And they ask him that because at the time, discipleship wasn't just listening. You would actually live your life with your teacher. That's a sermon for another day. The, the point is that they asked him, you know, where are you staying? And Christ answers, come and see and what happens is they come and they stay where Jesus is staying. They sit in his presence and they leave and they actually find someone else, Nathaniel, and they say, man, we found this guy from Nazareth. He could be the Messiah. Like maybe he was the one that we've been waiting for. And Nathaniel goes, man, you sure? Are y'all sure? Because nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Like how, how can we be sure this is the Messiah? And they say the same thing that Christ said to them, come and see. And I love that because to me, I'm like, there's few stories I think in the Bible that better summarize our call as disciples of Jesus. We are literally called first to stay where Christ is staying, to come or go and see where God is, sit in his presence, learn from him, experience him, and from that place, then go out and call other people to do the same. In the simplest form, that is what our 
job. That's what our mission as believers is. To know God, experience God, and to help other people know God and experience God. That is our calling as disciples. And I thought of that as I was reading Exodus chapter 32, because I saw almost this a dichotomy in this story. If you read the whole uh, uh, passage on the golden calf, there are two central characters, I would say. Moses and Aaron. And Moses, the dichotomy that's created is he's on the mountain at the beginning of the story in chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 32. And he's doing the mission that we have as followers of God. He's literally on the mountain trying to hear from the Lord. Why? So when he comes down, he could lead the people to the Lord as well. His statutes, his laws. He's the mouthpiece of God to the people. He's leading them to God. Then you have Aaron, who's not on the mountain, but on the ground. Who's not concerned primarily with what God is saying in the presence of God, but what the people are saying. What the people want. And so he's not actually leading them to Yahweh, the Lord of Israel. He's leading them to false gods. He's literally building them idols. And it doesn't hit us like we should sometimes when we read the Bible. It doesn't quite hit us because this is one of the craziest stories. One of the most unbelievable things that we've read actually up until this point in Exodus. We've read a lot of things. But the fact that Aaron would build idols for the people of Israel is almost unbelievable. At least it should be. Because up until this point, Aaron has actually had a very similar experience, experiences with God as Moses has. Aaron has seen God do some of the same things that Moses has seen him do. You see, this is where Prince of Egypt actually hurts us, right? When we think of Prince of Egypt and Moses, he's young, He's handsome, he's articulate, got a deep voice, right? right? All I ever wanted, right? And, and the, most importantly, Moses does everything by himself in that movie. All the miracles, all the uh, all, talking to Pharaoh, right? All the plagues we see, it's all Moses. But we actually know from the narrative that that's false. Moses is so nervous in chapter 3 and chapter 4 of this book to, to go to Pharaoh that God sends him Aaron. And it's actually Aaron who speaks to Pharaoh and says, let our people go. It's actually Aaron who throws his staff on the ground and it turns into a snake. It's actually Aaron who lifts his hands up and brings frogs out of the water. Aaron actually helps. He's there when they turn the water into blood. Aaron was there. Aaron saw God. Aaron saw the power of God, the salvific nature of Yahweh of Israel. And yet, here he is, building false gods and false idols with the audacity to say that these man-made things are actually what brought you out of Egypt. It's a crazy story. It's a crazy dichotomy. How could two men who have both seen the Lord, who have witnesses and testimonies of what he's like, be in such different places? One, leading people to back to that Savior that they've seen, and one, leading them away from that Savior. I think it's the same dichotomy that we actually have as Christians wrestle with daily 
I think it's the reality of our lives. All of us who now proclaim Christ would say we are witnesses to his power. And he's rescued some of us from dark places. He's redeemed us from dark thoughts or, or, or dangerous ideologies. We've seen God. And yet we're not always like Moses leading other people to him. Oftentimes we're like Aaron. And we lead people away from him. And we actually build idols for people to worship instead of him. Now, that might sound harsh. You might be like, well, Pastor Tua, I have never right, built an idol before. And it's true, right? The difficulty is the idols that we deal with today are intangible. And so sometimes they're harder to see. And it's harder for us to realize actually the ways that we reinforce them in our culture. But all the symptoms, all the characteristics are still there. I mean, look at this passage again. You know, when I read the Bible, this is, this is for free. I just ask why a million times. That's how I study the Bible. I'm like, wait, why this? Wait, why that? Wait, why? You know what I'm saying? I, I, I just do that and I think about what the possible answers are. And especially for a passage like this, you kind of need to because you've heard it a million times before. At least I have. And so I was asking a lot of why questions. Why? And the first basic question I asked is, why did Aaron build a golden calf? Why did Aaron build a calf? Why not a tree? Why not an apple? Why that? And as I was studying it and looking it up, you know, and there's some debate about it, but some of the scholars were like, we actually think it's because calves were imagery that they had in Egypt. That Egypt actually had symbolism of calves used for their gods. And so what Aaron is doing is he's actually building something he's familiar with. Maybe it's the reason he so quickly knew what to do, right, and how to make it. I would be like, I don't know, you know, give me duct tape. Like, I don't know what to do. But Aaron seemed like he was kind of prepared, wasn't he? Knew exactly what to do and exactly how to make it. So I, I wonder if that's a reality that this kind of is a callback to the gods that they saw in Egypt. And it would make sense. It's consistent with the narrative we've seen throughout, throughout this book, isn't it? where God rescues them out of slavery, out of bondage, says here's a path now to freedom. But when adversity comes, we don't know where our food is, we don't know where our water is, we don't know where we're going. What do they always say? It was better when we were in Egypt. They want to go back to bondage because it's comfortable. Pastor Abe talked about this before. We, 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 like, we, we would rather the comfort, even of chains and shackles than the uncertainty of freedom. And so that's a characteristic of an idol. It's, it's comfort. It's, it's nice. There's a routine that we can expect. At least we know where our food's going to come from, where our water's going to come from, the monotony of our lives. It, it's just, we kind of know what to expect. And so comfort, but also I would say control. Another question I asked when I read this passage is, What's with this uh, language of God's plural, but calf singular? You ever notice that? They say, make us gods. Aaron says, okay, but he makes a singular calf. And he goes, okay, this calf is the, are the gods that led you out of Egypt. 
It's kind of a weird grammar thing there, but I think the answer is simple. I think it's because oftentimes we don't realize the idols, uh, the, the actual item itself wasn't often what they saw as a god. It actually just housed the gods. Does that make sense? It's where they felt the gods resided, was within this thing. Let's go back to the dichotomy I'm talking about with Moses on the mountain and Aaron on the ground. Aaron is here creating a false house for false gods. What's God telling Moses about? Sabbath, Ten Commandments, what else? How to make what? The tabernacle. God's saying, I'm going to tell you how to make my house. I'm going to explain to you how to access my presence. I'm going to make it clear to you how I want to speak to you. But they're saying, we don't want to wait for that. We want to determine where the presence of God is. We want to determine how we speak to God. We want to determine how God will interact with us, when and why he answers our prayers. Right? We want to be the one that's a God above the gods. Control and comfort, characteristics of idols. And so we don't have golden calves, but now can you begin to think of, okay, are there idols that we do have in this world that are marred by comfort and control? And I can think of one, you know, for example, work. Someone was sharing me last week, you know, my sermon was kind of a sermon. They were like, you know, wh- why did you keep pausing for and having us pray, you know, in the middle of your sermon, you know, like, did you forget what to say? Like, you need more time to, like, reflect on it, you know? So that's actually a good idea. But um, I was saying, you know, because I think for a lot of us, we hear just take a day off uh, and make that your Sabbath. And I think that's good. And for most of us, it, it might be enough, you know, because we work six, seven days a week. We think a lot about work. Maybe a day is just where we need to start. What I was trying to say, actually, is what a lot of us do is we take a day off on the weekend, and then the other five days, we still serve the idol of work. Work still consumes us. And so it's like, serve an idol, take a break from the idol, go back to the idol on Monday. And so I was like, I was trying to say that even throughout the week, the work week, right, when you have projects or a short, maybe a break from a meeting, take five minutes. Take 10 minutes. Take 15 minutes. Because that's how you break the idol. Right? I'm trying to explain how work can be an idol for us. There's comfort there, isn't there? Let's be real. You know, money leads to comfort. My sister used to always joke. She says, people say money can't buy happiness. But she said, I've never bought something and not been happy. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is partly why we work. We want bigger Houses, bigger cars, but it's not something new to us. There's comfort in the idol of work. There's control, for sure. Remember growing up, for me, financial security was a big thing. I didn't want to be in situations where I, I didn't have control over my life or have different outs or resources. I, I was used to that. I didn't want that anymore, right? And we can think of a lot of idols that hit on these things of comfort and control. And then here's the question then. If we have these modern day idols, how are we leading people away from them? Or are we actually reinforcing them? Like when they look at our lives, do we work 
different? Do we spend money different? Do we, you know, give up control when they don't? You feel me? Like, like, like it makes sense that these peop- people have been like, you know, uh, um, like for a lot of people, they, 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 we pray to God and we ask God for things. Like, and, and he didn't answer my prayer or he wasn't what I expected. And that's why I don't believe there's a God anymore. Right? And for us, what happens when we, God doesn't answer our prayer? That's a hard reality. What happens when, when we don't see God's presence in the way we wanted to see? Do you reinforce the idea, okay, now it's up to us to figure it out, to, to work, to take control back of our lives? Or do we say, like we said before, we wait and we're patient for the Lord to answer us? Are we combating these idols that people have in their lives or do we look just like them? I think it's a tough thing. I mean, it, it's funny. We as modern Christians, it's almost like we actually value looking like the world. You know, I think for a long time, um, Christians, evangelicals, whatever, we were scared that people thought we were weird and different, so weird and so different they wouldn't listen to us. And we've almost overcorrected now. It's funny, when I meet people, I almost play this game with them where I say, you know, let me see how long it takes before I have to tell them that I'm a pastor, right? It's like a game I play. Because inevitably when I tell them, it kind of changes how they look at me or whatever, but nine times out of ten, when I tell someone I'm a pastor, like halfway or at the end of a conversation with a stranger, they're always surprised. Really? No way. Are you actually? And I take pride in that. Isn't that the funny thing? I like, like that. Oh, yeah. I'm accessible. Right? I'm down to earth. They could talk to me. God forbid I tell someone I'm a pastor and they're like, I see that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, when I look at your life, I could tell you're a man devoted to your faith. We like being accessible. We like being down to earth. We like people being like, oh, you know the cool references, you're hip, no cap, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like, we like that. And it's crazy to me because I'm like, then when do they ever believe it's a different savior? That we serve a different master? That there's a God apart from the gods of this world that we want to lead them to. And I think Aaron might have fallen into the same traps. Very interesting. Will you realize when you ask the right questions? The question I asked was, why did they feel comfortable asking Aaron to make them an idol? You think about that? Aaron is a high priest of the Lord by this point, right? By all accounts, and per- he could have them punished and even killed for asking them to make him an idol. But they're shameless. They're, they're like fearless. And like, they're like, hey, Aaron, Moses is gone. Make us one. Why is that? And I wonder if it goes back to what we said about the dichotomy between Moses and Aaron. Moses, it says, was slow of speaking. Aaron was good at speaking. Moses, I wonder if he was a zealot, right? If he was different, if he brought the law and the commands of God, and Aaron was more approachable, accessible, down to earth, a cool high priest. And I wonder if that got to his head and he began to value how the people saw him more than he valued leading them to 
the Savior, just like we often do. In the passage you see in chapter, in the first verses, he, they say, that fellow Moses. In this verse it says, that Moses. In ESV it says, that fellow Moses. They're distancing themselves from Moses. It's almost like they this, this, begin to despise Moses. I wonder if Aaron was afraid that he would get despised. He would get stoned, maybe. I think we wrestle with the same temptation, the same thing for us. Right? We want to be hit. We want to be cool. We also don't want to be despised. It's hard to tell someone who comes to you for advice, you know, maybe that's destructive behavior. Like maybe you should think more about like what you're doing and if it's a gateway to, you know, harm that you're doing for yourself. Like maybe you shouldn't live that way. It's hard to tell someone that. I wanted to preach a sermon last week that talked about how we should love um, people who lost the election. Other people in rural areas or part of the working class who feel so unseen and unheard and, and unknown and taken advantage of by this political system, they, they will vote for a man like Trump. Like they're so desperate to be seen. And how we as believers should be mindful as we celebrate in the city, we should be mindful of those people. And say, so how do we still love and see those people who don't feel like they're heard? I was to preach a whole sermon on it last week, but my friends were like, maybe you shouldn't. And maybe it isn't the right time to do that. And I think there's wisdom in that. But part of me was like, did I just not want to be despised by people? So I'll just fit into the crowd that's like, oh, yeah, you're all bad. We're all good. We'll celebrate and forget that there's people out there who are hurting. That seems to be an idol and a God that at least some of us, you know, wrestle with on a daily basis. I, I, my point is just like, at what point are we like, we're, we're just tired of this game of fitting in? Like we want to have a plan or we want to have a route in which all these things, I mean, being accessible, working hard, you know, fighting against, uh, you know, divisive uh, uh, conversations from the president. Like that's, those are good things, but it should be means to lead people to Christ. And if we have no, uh, no desire, no plan, like no intention to eventually do that, then, then we're just kidding ourselves. And we're actually perpetuating the gods of this world. And at some point, we, we have to say we want to be like Moses. We want to show people that there's a reality above this world. There's a savior that we cannot see. It's not just about changing systems. It's changing hearts. We need some Holy Spirit power from on high to transform this world. And we need to lead people to Christ. I know it's simplistic, it's reductionistic. I know it might ignore some of the nuances of our lives, but it's our call. I don't know what it will look like, but we have to evaluate ourselves and say, are we just building idols for those who don't know Christ yet? I'll call the band up now. I have no idea how much time I have left because this clock is all off now. But I'll say this. As harsh as I'm being today, I actually have grace for Aaron. I have grace for the Israelites. I have grace for us. They say in the first verse, they say, you know, Moses has been gone for a long time. Scholars believe it might have been up to a month that Moses was gone. For the people of Israel, Moses was the liaison they had to God. He was a mouthpiece for God. 
And so it isn't just Moses is distant. They're, they're like God feels distant to us right now. I wonder if Aaron felt distant from God. I wonder if there's many times where we feel distant from God. And in those moments, it actually makes sense why we turn to false idols, we turn to false gods. We want some kind of security or sense of belonging. It makes sense to me, actually. And that's why I started the way I started. This sermon isn't a call for you to run out now and be like, how do I just lead people to Christ? This sermon is first a call for you to get to Christ. Jesus said, first you come and see, and then you go and tell others to also come and see. And that's why it's important for us to remember what Christ did on the cross for us, because in a way, it's almost like he purchased for us the things we desire from our idols. Comfort. We won't always be happy if we follow the Lord. We won't always be, uh, we might be hungry, we might be thirsty, we might spend more on the homes of others than our homes. We might have to do that. But we could have joy. Or at least we could have hope. And that will provide comfort no matter what the circumstances. Control. Through Christ, the Spirit of God has made his home inside of us. Through Christ, we are now adopted sons and daughters of the Father. And so God actually is like, you know what, when you talk, I will listen to you. You can dictate when we speak. You might not always like my answer, but, but I will answer you because you're my son, my daughter, with whom I am well pleased, just like Jesus. As we can rest in these things first, we can come to these things first, and this will be the fuel for us to not go out and live lives that people will look at and say, I want that Savior you have. I want to follow that God that you follow. And so the invitation first is always that you listen to the call of your Father. You go and see Him first. Go and see Him first. And if you do that, I will have to stop you from sharing with other people that same Savior. So I want to invite you now to just bow your heads and begin to reflect on whatever it is that God's bringing to your mind. Maybe it's from today, maybe last week, maybe um, earlier in this sermon series, God is bringing to your mind again a truth that he has spoken to you and speaking to your heart. Let's go ahead and take a moment now then to reflect on whatever it is the Lord is saying to you. Come to your Father's presence and hear him and see that he's good.